Morning, church. I, too, I mentioned this in the first service, um, want to echo the sentiments of Rod's prayer. Um, I, who among us would think that we would see what we saw happen uh, this week? I mean, nearly 50 years. Um, some of us have been praying that entire time. Others at least know that 50 years we've seen this just egregious promotion and support of the murder of, of children. So what a blessing that we should all be very much thankful for. Continue to be in prayer because this is only going to rile the enemy even more in the battles that are soon to come. So, But certainly a great encouragement for us all in a month that unfortunately is championed by some to celebrate sin. That said, we're here to hear from God's word as we normally do. I invite you to take your Bibles and open them to Ephesians chapter 1. The title of today's message is The Final Seal of Approval. So when you think of planning anything, what goes through your mind when it comes to the results of that plan. Hopefully for most of us, and I would assume this to be the case, we desire that plan to work exactly as we designed it. We all have wants and desires, and we like to plan our lives around those wants and desires. There's nothing wrong with that. What's more, there's a, a sense of an accomplishment, <clears throat> A feeling of peace when we plan something and it works exactly the way we designed it. As for my wife and I, last summer we were able to plan a very successful vacation. Some of you got to follow along with us in social media and all of the pictures, one of the benefits of that. In our planning of many excursions, we were able to do them all and actually do more than what we had planned. We were able to travel frugally. We were able to not feel rushed. And we did a lot. And we just, in essence, had a wonderful time. Mission plan, mission accomplished. Now, I'm guessing for many of you, you could give similar examples of when a plan just came to fruition with perfection and precision. That said, I'm also guessing that you could give numerous examples of when a plan was turned upside down on its head and didn't go as you thought it would. You see, no matter how hard we try, or no matter how much we invest into planning certain things, we make mistakes in those plans, do we not? Not to mention, as we looked at last week concerning the topic of divine providence, God, in his good providence, at times disrupts what we think is the perfect and right plan. Amen? That happens. Nevertheless, I want us to consider, in light of this illustration, both sides of that illustration for a moment. The peace, the excitement, the joy that flows forth from a plan that was well thought out and worked to precision. Or on the flip side, <clears throat> the plan that, in essence, is disrupted or ends up not working and then creates angst, frustration, discouragement. Both of them, depending on the size of the plans, carry certain consequences, do they not? Well, this morning, 
we come to the end of the grandest and most significant plan in all of eternity. A plan that began before the foundation of the world. And a plan that will come to complete and perfect fruition. Today, we've arrived at the final two verses of this long, extended sentence of praise in the original language, one sentence, of verses 3 through 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. A sentence that began, if you recall in verse 3, urging believers to bless the Lord for every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And as we will see today, we'll end to the praise of his glory. Certainly an emphasis for Paul, as we've discussed, when it comes to Bible interpretation, when a writer takes an element, a phrase, a word, whatever it may be, and places it on the beginning and places it on the end as a point of emphasis. Why is this emphasis or this response proper to such a chorus of praise that we've examined over the last several weeks. Well, it relates to the theme of, yes, the two verses that we will expound upon today, but in all reality, the theme of the entire passage as a whole. That is, that God's plan of salvation is perfect, And guaranteed. If the level of our response of feeling relates to the significance of the plan, big or small, then nothing compares to the plan of God's salvation. If in our fallen world we at times experience failure, and frustration in our own plans, we can certainly find ultimate peace and ultimate confidence and ultimate hope in the plan that will never fail. A plan that we've seen in the previous messages and will continue to see today was specifically and perfectly designed By our triune God. We've seen the work of the Father. We've seen the work of the Son. And now today we will see the work of the Spirit. All three persons of the Godhead. Working in perfect harmony and unity. To accomplish the greatest plan mankind will ever know. It's because of this glorious and special plan for you, that is, born-again believers in Jesus Christ. I want us to come back to the beginning of Paul's sentence and then now here in the end and focus on one specific question. Why should we bless the Lord for every spiritual blessing? Profound question indeed within these two verses. We'll look at three reasons why. While also summarizing the blessings as a whole. With that said, would you stand with me please? For the reading of God's authoritative and living and active word. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. You may be seated.
So our first reason this morning to look at is number one, the call of the gospel. Look again at the first half of verse 13, which reads, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. Now, up until this point, what is the common theme that we've seen throughout this entire passage? It began even before this passage in the introduction to the letter. It flowed forth through sovereign election and then into redemption. And then we've seen it clearly in our inheritance and in the providence of God. And then even to begin this verse in those two key words, in him or in Christ, which we've seen as a primary focal point for Paul in the letter as a whole. There's just no escaping the fact that God is sovereign in his plan of salvation. He is the first cause and initiating force in working all things after the counsel of his will. Now we discussed the significance of this in light of mankind's total depravity. Left to ourselves, there is no hope. To quote Spurgeon again, paraphrasing, in a way that we could also affirm. He said, I'm glad that God chose me before I was born because I never would have chose him after I was born. Notwithstanding, here for the first time in this passage, Paul illustrates the other side of this divine coin. God is sovereign, yet man is responsible. In his infinite wisdom, he chose to use people. And the power of the Spirit through His Word to bring this grace to fruition. That said, in this section of the verse, I want us to first focus on two aspects of this call of the gospel. We might call them subpoint A or subpoint B, if you're tracking and taking notes with me. After that, we'll offer a thought. On the Spirit's role and application of this call of the gospel. So in this first aspect to begin with, I want you to notice in the text the two verbs listening and believed that Paul uses. We might say that if listening is simply the act of hearing... Believing is the act in which God brings forth true trust and belief in the Lord. For most of us, we're fully aware of the difference between only hearing of God as opposed to truly trusting and believing in Christ as Lord. For us all, there was a time in which we knew of God, but yet did not truly believe and trust in Him. That said, why can we now bless the Lord for these spiritual blessings, for this plan of salvation? Well, it's certainly because God, according to the kind intention of his will, not only elected us, but as the verse indicates, used the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, to save us. Many of us, by God's grace, transitioned not only from hearing on the surface the gospel, but to actually believing it, trusting Christ as Lord. Certainly a reason those of us in this room as born-again believers in Christ to bless the Lord given our 
previous lives. Enslaved to sin. That said, regarding this call of the gospel, there's a second aspect that I want to touch upon. And it deals more with the means of this call. We just looked at it and just read it, but that is the words, as Paul states, the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. This is extremely important for us to reflect upon. As we can see in the text, it's part of God's supernatural, divine process in bringing forth new life. He's already going to talk about in chapter 2 that we need this because of the fact that apart from this, we are dead in our sins. Having said that, a proper understanding here becomes extremely important for a variety of reasons. Be that as it may, I want us to focus on one reason specifically for its benefit an application for us here today. Paul is demonstrating under the inspiration of the Spirit that the Word of God is the means in which the call of the gospel goes forth and brings forth life. Why is this helpful? Why does it cause us to bless the Lord? For all of our spiritual blessings. How does it create tremendous confidence and benefit and application? Well, before we answer that question, let's support this statement with Scripture as a whole. You don't have to turn there, but mark these down and reference them later. I want us to look at several passages that continue to communicate the analogy of the faith. That the word of God is the means in in which the call of the gospel accomplishes exactly what it was designed to do. First, you know Romans 1.16, which reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14 reads, It was for this he called you. Through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, we read, And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Or James chapter 1 verse 18 reads, In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. And then one more. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23 reads, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of an imperishable seed. That is the living and abiding word of God. All of this communicating together in unison, in harmony concerning the means and the power of the word to accomplish the call of the gospel. Why is this helpful? Why does it contribute to our confidence? Why can we bless the Lord for it? Well, for those of us that are born again, obviously there's the simple acknowledgement that God used His Word to bring forth life in me. Praise the Lord. Amen? Notwithstanding, I want to go another direction for application. Have you ever tried to work out a plan of any kind without reading directions or preparing properly? 
My wife can attest that I am extremely guilty of this because I am not very detail-oriented and I just want to jump in and get it done. It doesn't always work well. For the most part, the instructions are there for a reason. Preparation is always wise. It should make the job or the plan easier. In our message on the fruit of sovereign election, we discuss the confidence that we gain in outreach because of it. Well, once again, confidence in outreach is the result of what I'm trying to communicate here, only this time. It is the specific word of God which acts as our instruction manual. Let us not forget, apart from even this passage, that Jesus said all that the Father gave him will come to him. That's critical. But for us, we must remember that we have all that we need to share with others in the gospel in the call of the gospel, in the word of God. Here's the key. And I've been guilty of this in my early years of Christianity, but we cannot get bogged down in the details of evangelism. Always trying to find reasons and answers on a secular or human perspective for the skeptic. It often does nothing but stifle our enthusiasm and our confidence to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Friends, the gospel is more than enough. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the word of which brings forth life. It is our sword in this spiritual battle. I referenced this in in the first service, but there's a pastor who I love to listen to in many areas of teaching by the name of Vodi Bauckham, a very strong Christian apologist. He speaks about evangelism and apologetics on a regular basis. And he gives often the example of why do we walk into witness encounters or communicating our faith and we lay down our sword and then communicate in secular or worldly or man-centered ideologies in order to convince someone who is, let's be reminded, dead in his sin? Or do we believe that the sword of the Spirit, the gospel, is the power of God? It is the imperishable seed which brings forth fruit. This is extremely helpful for us as we consider the call of the gospel and the benefit and the power that flows forth in what we have in the simplicity of this word of God. Now, concerning, I mentioned that that was the second aspect of the call of the gospel. I mentioned we need to address the Spirit's application. There's still one problem with this call of the gospel. How does a natural man who is utterly unable to remedy his lost condition move from only listening to actually believing? We discussed this somewhat in our discussion on total depravity. Paul says in his letter to the church at Corinth that the natural man does not discern spiritual matters. Or in his letter to the church at Rome, he says that 
The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, nor indeed does it submit to God's law, nor indeed can it. Herein lies the beginning of the work of the Spirit in this Trinitarian plan of salvation, which is called regeneration. Now, in a message such as this, we certainly won't have the time to cover all that that entails. Nevertheless, we need to briefly address it and deal with it, especially in light of the contextual necessity. As you can see in the remainder of this verse and then moving into verse 14, the context is all about the Spirit's role in this grand plan of salvation. That said, when it comes to the call of the gospel and the Spirit's role in regeneration, Paul does not address it within this text. Be that as it may, Scripture always interprets Scripture. I want to briefly just explore it once again, understanding that we cannot exhaust what we would need to in a message such as this with just two passages. Because it's important for us to answer the question, how does the man move from hearing, listening, to believing and trusting? Why is that helpful for us? You don't need to turn to this one, but... Titus chapter 3, verse 5 reads, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And then one more. I want us to read some of Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus from John chapter 3. Keep your hand in Ephesians, and this one we'll turn to. So we see it on the pages of Scripture. John chapter 3. Briefly touching on the Spirit's role and the application of the call of the gospel. John chapter 3, beginning with verse 3, I'll read through verse 8. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter into a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So, coming back to our predicament for the natural man. The man who is utterly unable to receive spiritual truth. He who is dead in his sin. What's more, how is this helpful in understanding the Spirit's role in regeneration? First of all, if we understand that God, the Spirit, is able to open blind eyes. As Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. How does he do this? He does it through the word of God which he illumines. He transforms a heart which was once of stone into a heart of flesh. 
He regenerates that which is born of the flesh, John chapter 3, into that which is born of the Spirit. This is what enabled Ephesian believers to move from only hearing, listening, to believing and trusting. This, my friends, is exactly what enabled us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Moreover, how does it cause us to bless the Lord? For all of these spiritual blessings. How does it cause us. To even pursue more our commitment to honor him. There are many examples that we could give. But to stay on my primary point of emphasis and application here today. When we understand. Fully that the call of the gospel is enough. The word of God is enough. It is the sword of the Spirit. When we fully understand that the Spirit will perfectly regenerate all that the Father elected and the Son redeemed, then how can we not be emboldened with even more confidence to play our role in this divine process? Let us together demonstrate our commitment to practice what we preach. Praise the Lord that God used the call of the gospel through people and through the power of his word in our lives. Amen? That said, there's still a plan that involves others. And it includes you, beloved. You have been called to proclaim the Great Commission. So, not only does the Spirit initiate this final seal of approval, so to speak. But he actually accentuates its authenticity in our second reason to bless the Lord. And that is number two, the seal of the Spirit. The seal of the Spirit. Look with me at the second half of verse 13 and the first half of verse 14. He states, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Now, first, I want to deal with this, this seal, this in, incredibly encouraging truth of the seal of the Spirit. Some of you may recall in our series of messages and our exposition of 1 John I used an illustration pertaining to the branding, if you will, and the seal of the Spirit. That cattle are branded as a seal of ownership. And we made the connection that as born-again believers, <clears throat> in a similar vein, we are branded, if you will. Now... Along with that illustration, I made the connection for the teachers in the room. You'll recall we talked about an IEP, a title for that branding. Where schools in our day and age establish what's called an individualized education program. That's to help students that need extra help. And we said that our branding is an IEP branding, but not an individualized education program, but an illumination educational program. Beloved, let us never forget that God, the Holy Spirit, regenerated our dead hearts in order for us to believe in faith. 
Yet he also illumines the fact that you are marked by an eternal seal of ownership. In conjunction with this great truth, Paul was able to challenge the believers in Ephesus in chapter 4, verse 30, when he said, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, there are many ways in which one might grieve the Holy Spirit. That said, one would certainly be to question his final seal of approval for you. Beloved, when you were saved, you were signed, sealed, and delivered, so to speak. So much so that a down payment or a deposit, if you will, was paid on your behalf. This is the actual meaning behind this phrase, given as a pledge. In modern Greek, this word relates to a wedding ring. Paul only uses it two other times in all of his writings. Listen to these examples as it serves to edify and encourage you concerning this seal of ownership, seal of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 reads, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, Coming off the heels of this tremendous context of this illustration that Paul uses of the natural body that is wasting away compared to the spiritual man that is growing in Christ. Momentary light afflictions compared to eternal weight of glory that is being developed in us. And then off the, the heels of that in chapter 5 verse 5 he says... Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Now, in light of deposits, wedding rings, or pledges from a worldly perspective... Unfortunately, we all would have to agree that the old saying, my word is bond, is not as powerful as it used to be from a natural, worldly perspective. This brings us back, beloved, to one of the foundational underpinnings of this entire passage. It relates to the essential nature of Trinitarian unity. If I go back to our introduction, even from a natural perspective, if we're involved in making plans with other people, we need harmony, we need unity. For those plans to be successful. Imagine if my wife and I had planned our vacation on different pages. It just would not have worked. Friends, on an infinitely more critical perspective. It's essential for us to understand that the Father and the Son... And the Spirit will never be on different pages 
when it comes to the plan of salvation. Not to mention, this understanding protects the unity of the Godhead. The vital belief in Christianity that we are monotheistic, which means we worship one God. We are not polytheistic, multiple gods. The great Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. All that the Father elected, the Son paid the price to redeem, and the Spirit regenerates and seals. This is done with perfection and specificity. Nothing more, nothing less. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Friends, why is this important? And we've stated it and teased it and thrown it out there several times throughout this passage. This is one key reason we know beyond a shadow of a doubt this seal of the Spirit, this pledge, this wedding ring is not taken from a worldly perspective, but it will with perfection be fulfilled in our inheritance, brother and sister in Christ. Tremendous reason for us to bless the Lord because of the perfect seal of the Spirit and the triune work of the Godhead on your behalf. That's assurance and that's Confidence like no other. Designed for you by name. Now, before we briefly move to our final reason, I want us to consider even more responsive application to this seal of the Spirit. Keep your hand in Ephesians chapter 1. Turn back to Romans chapter 8. Once again, the words of Scripture always provide the best illustration or the best application. Romans chapter 8. I'll read verses 12 through 17 as we revel in the call of the gospel and the seal of the Spirit. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Beloved, brothers and sisters in Christ, Warriors for Christ. Because the Spirit has testified to His sealing and pledge on your behalf, let us bless the Lord as heirs of Christ. Let us not live with fear in any example or illustration that we may ponder here this morning. Let us not grieve the Spirit the spirit in which has sealed us for the day of 
redemption. Moreover, let us never forget the reason behind everything. And that will be our final reason. Number three, the praise of his glory. Look again at the final half of verse 14. He says, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So, to close out, one of the most monumental, awe-inspiring, pride-crushing doctrinal sentences in all of Scripture He reminds us, all believers, to the church at Ephesus, and even for us here today, the Spirit of God reminds us, what's behind this majestic, big God theology? Everything is about His glory and His power. In order to see this, I want us to see this passage as we draw to a close. In summary, it just jumps off the page throughout nearly every single verse. Look back at the beginning of verse 3. This, friends, it leaves no question beyond a shadow of a doubt Concerning God's sovereign prerogative to work according to his will for his glory. Verse 3. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4. He chose us in him. He goes on to say that we would be holy and blameless before him. In verse 5, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. And then goes on to say according to the kind intention of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 7, in him. We have redemption. And then he goes on to say, according to the riches of his grace. Verse 10, the summing up of all things in Christ. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. And then he goes on to say, predestined according to his purpose. His will. Verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him, sealed in him. It just oozes throughout the entire passage. And then to close it out, here in verse 14, all of this is about his own possession to the praise of his glory. Hallelujah. Why can we bless the Lord for every spiritual blessing? It's because nothing, beloved, will ever stop or thwart the hand of God concerning His plan of salvation. All that the Father elected before the foundation of the world, the Son redeemed and the Spirit regenerates. Throughout these expositions of this one sentence, verses 3 through 14, we've often looked to evangelism as a logical outworking of application. 
This is something that's near and dear to my heart as God revealed some of these glorious truths to me. It only emboldened me more to reach for the lost because of it. In light of that, I want us to close again with another charge to you along with me concerning this application of outreach and evangelism in light of these spiritual blessings in heavenly places designed specifically and perfectly for you. The sheep. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, charges us all. When it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Amen. Say it with me, church. Amen. That's our calling. God is sovereign, yet man is responsible, and he is using us as a means in the process to proclaim this glorious grace of God. And he will accomplish all things after the counsel of his will. So therefore, we go forth with boldness and confidence in the process. Pray with me. Lord God, we can say nothing but blessed be the name of the Lord in light of such glorious spiritual blessings which you have freely bestowed on your people. Lord Jesus, would you help us to be not just hearers of your word, but doers. Lord, when you left this earth, you left us with a great commission to go forth and make disciples. Create in us a hunger and a passion and a thirst for the lost. Not because of any power in and of ourselves, but because of the call of the gospel, the seal of the Spirit, all to the praise of your glory, everything being accomplished according to the perfect, decretive will of God. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. We glorify and exalt you, the name above all names, in the mighty and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. And the church said,